20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to yet another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. It is the Sunday before Christmas, and I would not rather be anywhere else than where I am at right now. I am your host this week. I am Jacob Westendorf, and joined with me again, reunited, Zach Jacobson. Zach, how's California Christmas? I know there's no snow, so you're not getting a white Christmas, but a festive time of year, no doubt. It's like the equivalent of, like, California summer, basically. It, the weather is basically the same, except it's a little bit colder in the morning. But other than that, you know, there's not much of a difference. I say this every week, and I feel like I'm just setting myself up to be angry. But, yes, everyone hates you for saying those things that live in the Midwestern area. We have to start with what is by far the most important topic this week, and that is, Zach, I just had dinner, and I went to Five Guys. And why did I go to Five Guys? Well, one, In-N-Out Burger is not an option. And two, even if it was, In-N-Out Burger is trash and Five Guys is significantly superior. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, this is why this is why we're, we're hosting a podcast together. It's because we both appreciate quality, like my tweet said. You know, you and I are both very, very... Uh, we're smart men when it comes to food and when it comes to burgers that we appreciate. So obviously we're going to prefer five guys because they're superior, like you said. So be, be grateful, actually, that there's no in and out within your area, in your proximity, because it's trash, obviously. <laughs> uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell everyone what you got? Tonight I enjoyed, uh, obviously, the fries, which I do want to get one of your questions on, or question answered on those at the end, but... I had a bacon cheeseburger with grilled onions on it, and then uh, the fries. Now, my long-standing theory is that the best fries are bag fries, fries that have fallen out of the receptacle and gone into the bag. The only question I have at this point is, do they count as bag fries if it is manufactured? So for those of you that have been to Five Guys before, and I imagine that they do it the same way everywhere as they do here, but they put your fries into a cup or something that holds them and then they dump excess fries into the bag do those fries count as bag fries i i i would say so because look in my opinion i consider everything that's in the bag bag fries 
Okay. So if, if they're all in that, I guess, area, then they should fall under the same umbrella. Which is funny, too, because I always have that problem. Every There's one specific Five Guys that I go to, and there's always a guy that's working the fryers back there. And every time he dumps the fries in the bag, he stares at, at my party and I, and he has the creepiest smile on his face as he dumps the fries into the bag, because he knows he... He loads us up on fries. Yeah, he, like, he recognizes us at this point. So he hooks us up with a whole bunch of fries, and you know, he's a cool dude just for that. But, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Team Bag Fries here. Okay. Well, I think, Zach, everything I've ever learned is if you have something in life that you need, always have a guy. And you, my friend, have hit the jackpot because you officially have a guy at five guys so you're living life to its fullest i hate to break this to you but it's all downhill from here i don't know that life gets any better i believe you have peaked so that's unfortunate (laughs) (laughs) also Uh, that's fine i had a a good run yeah there you go dynamite analysis here you come to pack a day for football thoughts and here we are giving you thoughts on hamburgers but hey i want to take care of you guys as our listeners because well, you're the reason we do this show, so I want to save you from a bad burger because there's nothing worse in this world than going somewhere for a burger and coming out with garbage. So avoid in and out Go to Five Guys. What else is unfortunate, Zach? The Packers have been eliminated from the playoffs since the last time we spoke. They lost last week to the Chicago Bears. And doing that, coupled with the Minnesota Vikings' big win over the Miami Dolphins, the Packers were eliminated from postseason contention. This will be the first time uh, in since 2005 and 2006 that they missed the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. It'll be the first time since, I believe, 1990 and 1991 that they have back-to-back losing seasons. So disappointing, no doubt, especially considering that the starting quarterback has been able to start and finish every game that they've played in. Just wasn't meant to be this year. It wasn't in the cards. I think you can look back. The Packers have definitely done plenty of things on their own to kill their chances to make the playoffs. But where I want to start tonight, Zach, is we've talked a lot this year. When did you ever get the feeling this year? Because there's always years. 2014, I knew was going to be a special season when Aaron Rodgers faked that spike in Miami and finished off that comeback in the heat against the Dolphins. There's always points in the year when you have at least a feeling and sometimes those feelings are wrong, no question. But you always seem to have a feeling of when the season's going to turn one way or the other. Was there a point this year where you really felt like, man, it is just not our year? Yeah, that occurred to me actually recently. It was uh, when the Packers were down by 10 against the Bears. Now, I, I, I consider myself somewhat of an optimist. And while I like to maintain the image of being a realist, of course, I, I like to carry that, you know, that optimistic side with me as well. So I did have hope at one point that if the Packers did somehow manage to squeak out of Chicago with a win and escape Soldier Field with playoff hopes still intact, or even if they did lose and the Dolphins still managed to beat the Vikings in Minnesota and the Packers would still be obviously in the playoff race. I would still obviously be holding out a little bit of hope. But realistically, once they were down 10 against the Bears with as little time left as they did, 
as they had, I at that point I just kind of knew that that was it. <laughs> it. It really took until the final buzzer for me to kind of finally realize that this wasn't going to be the year. This wasn't going to be. This wasn't going to be the the, the the time for the Packers to engineer some kind of miracle run to get into the playoffs, which seemed like. I mean, everything was in front of them. You know, it seemed like it was possible. That it did. Uh, it occurred. I've mentioned it on this show. That occurred for me when Lamar. Or Lamar. <laughs> I'm watching Lamar Jackson play. I apologize. When Ty Montgomery fumbled uh, in Los Angeles against the Rams, I said it at that point that I thought the season was over. Uh, it turns, I mean, obviously I was wrong from a mathematical standpoint, but the Packers haven't held a position in terms of a playoff team since then. They found ways to lose games in New England. They found a way to lose in Seattle. Uh, they found a way to lose at home against the Arizona Cardinals, which is something I will never understand. Ultimately, that game got Mike McCarthy fired, as we've mentioned. But it's been a tough year. It's been a long year. Um, and at this point, we have six hours approximately left in the Packers football season. And then we'll come to the most interesting and pivotal offseason in Green Bay since the summer of Brett Favre. And, of course, we, remember, we all remember how that went down. This is a big offseason. There's no question about it. We will have plenty to talk about. We'll actually discuss a little bit of offseason stuff here on this show. But for now... I do want to go to, today there's a game, obviously they're in New Jersey, they're playing the New Jersey Jets, I refuse to call them the New York Jets because they don't actually play in New York, so I don't care where their headquarters are, they are the New Jersey Jets as far as I'm concerned, and as somebody who's appreciative of the two teams in one city, one's big brother, one's little brother thing, I fully understand that the New York Giants are the big brother and the Jets are the little brother. Uh, The way I've had it explained to me by... One of, my, one of my co-workers, one of my superiors, is from the Bronx. So he's from New York, born and raised. And the way he explained it to me was, if you're a Mets fan, you're a Jets fan. And those are the two little brothers in those cities, if you will. Uh, but there is a game today. Aaron Rodgers is going to start, unless something changes between when you are listening to the show and, it kicks, and the game kicks off, then I apologize. But Aaron Rodgers is going to start. Zach, is that the right move? Because we're looking at what is essentially two glorified scrimmages. These are preseason games. None of the games matter for any of the two any of the teams that are playing in these next two games. And the Packers have a hefty bill on Aaron Rodgers. And we're also looking at a point where, knock on wood, obviously I'm not hoping this happens. Nobody is. But if Aaron Rodgers tears his ACL this afternoon against the Jets, he's out until probably – Maybe the midway point of next season. I mean, it really remains to be seen how that would happen, but it could extend into next season. So is it the right move for Aaron Rodgers to play today? I don't think there's any logic in playing him. And but really, you know, there's no logic in anything these days. So I, I think from a logical standpoint, you sit him. And you end his season two games early. You preserve him from ne- for next year, and you see what Deshaun Kaiser can do in, in a real game atmosphere outside of Cleveland, because we all know that was a toxic environment that Hugh Jackson created. You know, you can't judge Kaiser on what he did in that, in, 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 you know, in, in that organization. So now, if I'm the Packers, I play Aaron Rodgers. That's just me, simply because you. 
need to get him more live game reps against regular season starting defenses with Marquez Valdez Scanling, Equinemia, St. Brown. You gotta get these rookie receivers work against starting caliber secondaries. You know, let let them go out and see what they can do against a guy like Tremaine Johnson in the Jets secondary. Let them see how they can mesh on the field, especially on the road. It's one thing to click when you're at home, obviously, because everything seems to go right when you're at home. But when you're on the road playing in a hostile environment, this is the perfect opportunity for the Packers to finally form some cohesion or you know start the building blocks in that general direction. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers alluded to this a couple weeks ago. In 2006, the Packers were 4-8, and eight, and they won their final four games. They closed out that 2006 season against the Bears at Soldier Field. They, they went into next season, finished 13-3, and three, and Aaron Rodgers mentioned that momentum carried over from last season. Now, I don't know if there's other examples of that, and obviously this is, the, this is a foreign situation that the Packers are in right now. Aaron Rodgers isn't used to this. The Packers aren't used to this. So see if there's possible momentum that can come from winning these final two games. And you don't want to build a losing culture in this locker room. You don't want to kind of instill that mentality into any of these guys' heads. But at the same time, you want to get young guys playing time. You want to see what Alan Lazard can do. You want to see what Robert Tunney can do. Some of these guys still need to see playing time. But do it in a situation where Aaron Rodgers is playing and Aaron Rodgers is directing that team and leading them out of the field. He wants to lead. He wants to lead by example, set the example, then let him do it. It's what he gets paid to do. He's a grown man making a grown man decision. And a lot of people might not like it, and a lot of people might not think it's realistic, or it's, you know, but it's what he wants to do. You can't fault him for that. No, and where I'm at is I, I do want Aaron Rodgers to want to play. And I know this is going to sound like a contradiction because I just had this discussion last week about tanking. But I don't want him to play because – now, that isn't the same as, in my opinion, to intentionally try to lose games because I think you could still put Deshaun Kaiser in positions to succeed and try to win the game. However, this is a $134 million deal. It's professional football. Players can get hurt. I understand that could have happened at any point. I do know that. I understand that. However – why put him at risk that is completely unnecessary? And I know Rodgers has said stuff about leadership and all those sorts of things, and that's great. That's how I want him to feel. Brian Gutekunst, Mark Murphy, and Joe Philbin, to a point as well, need to protect Aaron Rodgers from himself. Because if he gets hurt in one of these next two games, now you're putting the next meaningful game the Packers will play is in 2019. And you're putting those meaningful games at risk. To me, I guess the question is, you basically put Rodgers in bubble wrap for the preseason. I believe he played one series in the preseason this year, if memory serves. It was a touch, or excuse me, two series, because he threw a touchdown to Jimmy Graham, and he did, I believe, one more series after that. But that was it. How is this any different, I guess, is my question. Zach, you alluded to that point of momentum. Uh, the Packers went 4-0 down that stretch in 2006. They had a great year in 2007. Went to the NFC Championship game before Brett Favre gift-wrapped a Super Bowl to the New York Giants. I do not believe in game-to-game momentum, so me as someone that feels that way, I don't give a damn about winning games to try and get momentum, quote-unquote, for next year. Uh, But that's my opinion. 
on that. So that part to me isn't that big of a deal. However, that's what they're going to do. Aaron Rodgers is going to play. I still think it wouldn't be surprising to me if, say, next week when they're playing Detroit at home, that the second half belongs to Deshaun Kaiser, or maybe the fourth quarter belongs to Deshaun Kaiser. I do think that you will at some point see the best quarterback from that draft class, and that is from my own personal ranking. So I'm going to continue to call him that until, <laughs> although I guess it is painfully obvious at this point that Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson at minimum are definitely better than Deshaun Kaiser is. But um, that's, I think you're going to see him at some point. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that at some point these next two games we're going to see Deshaun Kaiser play. There's no doubt about that. And I do think um, that would be positive for him because, as you mentioned, he hasn't played an extended period of time in an offense that isn't in a bad situation. Any offense run by Hugh Jackson is in a bad situation. That's one. Yeah. And playing down and just thrust into the fire against Khalil Mack and that Bears defense, which is quite clearly grown into the best one in football, that's a bad situation as well. So giving him a chance in some good situations might be good for him as well. Yeah. It, you know, I, I see the points that Rodgers is making too, you know, about – being a leader and wanting to lead his guys out there for these last two games because he wants to set that example that I mentioned earlier. But you also don't want to sit him and play all of your other starters, all of your other healthy starters. And because that kind of sends a message like, oh, this guy, he's more important than you are. He's more important than our success. So we're going to sit him and throw you out there in these meaningless football games, which Obviously, they all know that Aaron Rodgers, he's the cornerstone of that franchise. He's the most important player on the football team. Everyone knows that. It's just something that you don't say or imply in your actions. And I think sitting Aaron Rodgers and playing all your other guys in these games, that's that's implying it. That might be a fair point as well because then, yeah, the question then becomes on the flip side. And I'm not saying anybody's right or anybody's wrong here, but then the question is where do you draw the line because – This is different from the preseason from the standpoint of there's not 90 men on the roster to where, okay, uh, Rodgers, Adams, Matthews, Tremont Williams, uh, you know, name your guys, David Bakhtiari. You guys all sit, and we've got a million dudes out here fighting for jobs and such. It's a little different because there's only 46 players that are active on the game day roster, and with all the damn injuries the Packers have, there may not be 46 healthy guys at this point. I can't say that for sure right now, but I would imagine that they do. But I you know, I don't know. I'm kind of joking a little bit when I say that too, obviously. But that's the difference. And I would understand that to a point. What I would say is, yeah, Zach, like you mentioned, I think those players already know. The quarterback makes the most money. The quarterback is their best player. The quarterback is playing the most important position on the field. And that's regardless of if it's Aaron Rodgers or if Tim Boyle was the starting quarterback of the Packers, their preferred starter at quarterback. So there's a lot to be said there. Uh, Ultimately, Rodgers is going to play. If I were the head coach, he wouldn't be playing. And I would be telling those players, you know, hey, sorry, but, you know, this is is business. And they do that any other time. You know, it's business when they cut a player like Jordy Nelson, who is one of Rodgers' favorite targets, and quite clearly – Rodgers wasn't happy about that. Neither was half the fan base, which we don't have to talk about because 
quite frankly, I, I don't think this season is all that different if Nelson's on the field uh, as a receiver. Maybe a little bit just from the standpoint of Rodgers has a little more trust and rapport with him as opposed to Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Equinemius St. Brown. But I don't think a whole lot changes. Zach, I, let me get your thoughts real quick on that. How different is this season if 87 is lining up out there instead of 83 or 19? I think you'd see a lot bigger of a difference in the red zone, but between the 20s, not so much. Uh, basically, just because they had that connection in the red zone. Jordy Nelson, he still is near the top of the list in red zone touchdowns, I believe, since 2016. So he's very productive when inside the 20. There's no doubt about that. Jimmy Graham, they brought him on to provide that same kind of factor. They paid him to make those kinds of catches, those kinds of tough contested catches in the red zone. He hasn't been able to do that. And in part, these last few weeks been, has been because of his broken thumb, obviously. And it's, which I should say also, he shouldn't even be out there. No. If it's if it's handicapping his ability to catch the football. He's got a broken freaking thumb. Put Robert Tunyon in there. Get Mercedes Lewis more involved in the blocking game. Get Lance Kendrick's vertical. But I think it makes a little bit of a difference. Obviously not enough to sway the record, but you know, the Packers would still probably would, would be fighting for their playoff lives right now. They definitely wouldn't be near the top of their division, but you would see a little bit more productivity in the red zone. Nair Rodgers would definitely have more than 23 touchdown passes, for sure. That I agree with. Um, but, yeah, like you mentioned, between the 20s, I don't think a whole lot changes. You mentioned Jimmy Graham. Yeah. That's something, too, that I think you can talk about. Even if Rodgers is playing these next few weeks, some of these young guys do need to play. So Randall Cobb, I know Cobb's not going to suit up tomorrow, more likely than not because of a concussion. Uh, he hasn't been officially ruled out yet, but it's very likely he's not going to play. Randall Cobb, I listen, I love Randall Cobb, maybe not as much as you do, Zach, because I've read pretty much everything you've ever written on him, but... Randall Cobb doesn't need to play these next two games. Nothing significant, at least. I mean, again, if your next significant game is in 2019, then you need to think about 2019. And who's going to help this team in 2019? Randall Cobb's not. And Aaron Rodgers can stump for him as much as he can. Again, I like Randall Cobb. I think he can be useful elsewhere. But it's really hard for me to sit here and think, you know, Cobb's been banged up every year, really since 2014. I gutted it out in 2015. He's been a consummate pro. And that's what makes him appreciated as far as the player he is. You know, pros, pros, or whatever, if you will. Those kinds of guys are definitely appreciated. That's another reason cutting somebody like Jordy Nelson hurts as much as it does. Because not only is he a really good player, but he was a consummate professional. You never had to worry about those things. But Randall Cobb's not going to be on the Packers in 2019. If he is, we're talking like... If he's willing to play for $3 million because, I'm sorry, he's just not worth much more than that $3 million as of right now. He had one big game this year against Chicago and either has been banged up or out of gas since. So that's where, again, Equinemius St. Brown, Ty, or Ty Montgomery. Sorry, I'm watching the Ravens game as we speak, and that's him right there. Um, yeah, I just saw um, <laughs> That's bad. Ty Montgomery's not going to be on the team next year either. Uh, Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I don't think Jake Kumaro is going to be on this roster next year contributing significantly unless something really bad happens. But 
If he is, then you need to find out in these next couple weeks if he can play. Obviously, you need Devontae Adams on the field because if Aaron Rodgers is going to play, Devontae Adams is going to play. Robert Tanyan, that's another guy who needs to get get time on the field. Um, other players that are young, Oren Burks, Josh Jones, Josh Jackson, uh, some of these young defensive linemen, Montrevious Adams, those are the guys that need to be getting significant snaps these next two weeks because that's what these games are about because reality is next year, those guys I just mentioned, some of those guys are some of the most important players that need to take a leap next year for the Packers to be successful. So that's something we're going to talk about, I think, next week as the season winds down, if we saw that versus if we didn't see that. But I think that's something that regardless of whether Aaron Rodgers plays or not, uh, those young guys need to be on the field. And Jimmy Graham is another example of, hey, listen, I appreciate what he's doing. I appreciate him gutting it out with a broken thumb, especially considering last year's free agent tight end quit on the team. I appreciate being a pro, playing hurt, putting his body on the line for the team where he could very easily just say, oh, I made my $10 million this season. I'm out. My thumb hurts. And it does. I'm not going to pretend like that injury isn't significant. He uses his hands on every single play. This isn't something that's just normal that he can just get by on. It's phenomenal what Jimmy Graham has done to be on the field. But it's very clearly affecting his ability to be effective and he hasn't been that effective for most of the year so that takes it even more so downward because like you said he's got a broken thumb and when you can't be effective with a broken or with two clean hands you can't be effective with a broken thumb either so that's something for that mckenzie forced me to play through my broken thumb yeah exactly oh my god i i'm not even touching that one no way um zach it's christmas I want to be festive. Tuesday morning, I imagine everyone has at least one Christmas present they're going to open. So let's go from the Packers' standpoint. I want two things. One, let's start on the bad. This year, what did we open this season that was it? And not just the full season, obviously the record. But if you opened this season and noticed a lump of coal in there from Santa, from Packers Santa, what was the biggest lump of coal that we found this year for the Green Bay Packers? Nick Perry. Yeah, that's Flat t- out, yeah. Nick Perry. <laughs> you open up freaking box and out comes like, like those those things that you get at joke stores. You open up the top and the, the streamers burst out and you freak you the hell out. Kind of like that. So it's not really much of a present. It's more like, like a fake gag gift. And that fake gag gift was in the form of Nick Perry. He played in nine games before, before ending up in injured reserve. He had a, a sack and a half. He In the games, he he was playing it when he was healthy. He was not productive by any means. He probably batted down a pass or two. and He, he really was never back at 100%. And the team, the team said that. They said that much. He was never back at 100% from the offseason ankle surgery he had. So... If he wasn't, I don't know why he was out there to begin with because he probably just aggravated it and potentially even jeopardized his 2019 campaign or you know the, the off-season program for leading in the next season. So it really kind of complicated things by forcing him to play. Well, I, know, I shouldn't say that he's forcing him, especially after making that Dr. McKenzie joke. I shouldn't say that. But um, the fact that he was out there was 
probably a testament to their outside linebacker numbers, but either way, the free agency pool is a thing. Trades are a thing. You can you can stockpile guys. You can load up that position one way or another, but Nick Perry shouldn't have been out there at any point this season if he wasn't 100%, because now you might have set him back for next season. Yeah, that was a tough one, and I've been a big supporter of Nick Perry. My Nick Perry story is when they drafted him. I didn't know a ton about him, but I will never forget his first. Obviously, the rookies are one of the first things you watch in every preseason game, and the first thing in Nick, the first snap of Nick Perry's career in Green Bay was a preseason snap in San Diego against the Chargers, and he uh, beats the tackle and he sacks Philip Rivers on like the first play from scrimmage. And I texted my brother in all caps, and it said Nick Expletive Perry. And going forward, he's always been known as NFP for me when he's done something good. And it just hasn't worked out. It didn't work out this year. Uh, he, Like you mentioned, I don't think he was ever 100%. He probably shouldn't have been out there, and that was probably a testament to their outside linebacker position, which quite frankly doesn't have a lot of good players. And that is that is my lump of coal, is the, is the edge group as a whole. And I know Kyler Fackrell's had a pretty good year, especially considering – a lot of us made a lot of jokes at his expense, um, and some of them were deserved. Some of them were looked to be at least cheap shots at this point because he's played well, and he leads the team in sacks. And at one point during the year, he had as many sacks as Khalil Mack, and that doesn't mean anything. It was just funny to bring up when it was true. But I've harped on this for years that the Packers have made two significant – or three significant, excuse me, additions at pass rusher since 2011. They drafted Nick Perry in the first round. They signed Julius Peppers in free agency, and they drafted Kyler Fackrell with a top 100 pick. That is it. They have neglected that position, and they are paying for it at this point because Clay Matthews, while I still think he can play a little bit, isn't the player he used to be. Nick Perry, we've talked about. Kyler Fackrell's had a good year, but he's best suited as one of your rotational edge rushers, and Reggie Gilbert has turned out to be little more than a preseason star. Uh, speaking of players that need to play, Kendall Donerson needs to get snaps in these last games to see what he has, if anything. But oh, yeah. regardless of what happens in these next two games, the Packers' edge group will look significantly different next season than it does this year. And if it doesn't, then Brian Gutekunst has failed this defense and this defensive coordinator specifically. Now, I don't think Mike Pettin's been perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Zach, we were kind of talking about this on Twitter yesterday. I don't think the defense is good. However, the point you made back, and I agree with you, is considering some of the dudes he's had to work with. I mean, last week against the Bears, he's sending Eddie Pleasant, and I didn't even know that guy existed until he signed in Green Bay at some point this year, on slot blitzes to sack Mitchell Trubisky. And I'm sitting here just thinking, and I turned to my brother and I said, can you imagine how this defense might be if we gave this guy some actual dudes to work with instead of... I mean, he's put so much lipstick on a frickin' pig, and that's what it's been for most of the year. So that is my lump of coal is the edge rusher position, and I will beat this horse until it dies. Brian Gutekunst, if you are listening to, and I would even say probably three new pass rushers need to be in Green Bay next season, whether that's two veterans and one draft pick high or two high-ish picks and a veteran but some way you need to get two or three guys in that locker room that can rush the passer because this you look at the Bears' defense. Their secondary, 
Kyle Fuller's had a good year, but he's just all right. Eddie Jackson's a star. Otherwise, I think their secondary is just dudes. Nobody's special. But Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Leonard Floyd, Eddie Goldman, they get after the quarterback. And there is no easier way to make a oh, life. Yeah, your pass rush. Yeah. Your pass rush makes their job easier. Exactly. And there's no way to make a young secondary, better way to make a young secondary's job easier than to give him somebody that makes the quarterback piss his pants during the pre-snap process. So that is my lump of coal. Zach, now on the brighter side of things, if you are sitting and say it's you know Christmas in March again, if you could open a present, and it would be the best Christmas gift ever, the best Christmas gift that I've ever received off the top of my head, my mom bought me a Reggie White jersey one year, and I've wanted that forever and ever. I wasn't old enough when he was playing and they were selling his jersey to have one. So I was thrilled to get that on Christmas Day um, a few years ago. So I was very happy to get that. What is the Christmas present that would excite you to that point where you are emotional or just really happy that they got that person on the Packers team? Or maybe it's something else. You know, What's something that is the best Christmas gift ever in March for this Packers team? Well, since you said March, I'm assuming you mean specifically free agency. So if it comes to free agency... You can do, just not to cut you off, but you can do free agency or a draft pick if you have a draft crush. I actually don't have one yet. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. Not yet. So if it comes to... If it comes out of free agency, there's a guy I've been eyeing, actually. And coincidentally, Andy Herman actually posted about him, I believe it was yesterday, or Friday. And that's LaMarcus Joyner from the Rams, a safety. I think if the Packers grabbed him, he would be an immediate upgrade to whatever they want to do in the secondary, to whatever they have there by March, whether it's Tremont Williams playing on the back end, whether Kentrell Bryce is there, whatever. He would be an immediate upgrade, and he... Well, actually, Kentrell Bryce is going to be a free agent, so maybe not him, but whatever. Whatever bodies they have back there, Eddie Pleasant... Uh, Ibrahim Campbell, Campbell if, they, if they retain him we don't know what they're going to do there it's going to be a mess but he would be an immediate upgrade because he's rangy he's instinctive he has great ball skills and he can cover and the Packers they, they pair a guy like that let's say they don't get Earl Thomas or they don't get Landon Collins which a lot of Packer fans are wishing for because there's no guarantee that's going to happen there's no guarantee either one of those guys are going to want to play in Green Bay or they're not going to get retained by their respective teams, or you know, they're not going to take a, another team's offer for more money elsewhere. We don't know what the situation is going to be with those guys, but Lamarcus Jordan would be a solid option if they if they weren't able to get either one of those aforementioned guys, just simply because of his ability. But he also played multiple positions with the Rams, I should say as well. He he lined up as a corner, he lined up as a, as a free safety. He can play strong safety. He had a pick this year, uh, three passes defense. And he's played in all uh, uh, for its all fourteen games, so he's been solid. He's a great back end player, and I'm I'm just saying, if you give that kind of that kind of versatile playmaker to a guy like Mike Pett, he will have some fun. He will have some fun just implementing into spots all over the field and just getting creative. I'm with it. Uh, you mentioned some of the other safeties. That's going to be a hot topic. I think if there's a spot to spend on free agency where it's likely. Guys hit free agency. 
Because obviously I could sit here and say, oh, yeah, Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I would buy his jersey tomorrow if they got Demarcus Lawrence. However, pass rushers like that never hit free agency. And there's a reason for that. One of the most important positions in all of football, unless you're the Packers, apparently. That was my final dig, I promise. But um, ah. the Marcus Joyner is somebody who Landon Collins is going to be a popular name. I don't see it. Uh, he's not the playmaker on the back end. And I know that free agents and free safeties like that are hard to come by. But I just think that that guy is a strong safety type, big-bodied thumper, if you will. And that's just not that valuable, especially to blow. I mean, if the Packers are going to spend money, and I'm sure they will, but they're going to have to save some, obviously. They can't just blow $50 million in cap space this offseason. Maybe they will. Maybe I'm wrong, and they go the Daniel Snyder, Washington Redskins route on that, but I doubt it. But if you're going to spend big on one guy, I, I don't think that's the guy to do it on. LaMarcus Joyner, I think what you're talking to me about is I didn't particularly love Micah Hyde when he was in Green Bay, but you're talking about a similar skill set, and LaMarcus Joyner is far more athletic and a better playmaker than Micah Hyde is. You want to talk about somebody Patton can use, that would be a guy. Earl Thomas is another guy you mentioned. I know he's coming off a significant leg injury and a glorious middle finger directed at Pete Carroll and the Seahawks bench, that will be that'll live in lore for me forever because that's exactly how I feel about that organization. Uh, that would be another guy. Me, I'm trying to be a little realistic, but again, I'm sticking with my theme. It's pass rushers, guys, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to give you a couple names. So I apologize for that, but and I will mention a draft crush or two that I have as well. So spoiler alert there. But Jadeveon Clowney is a name who comes to mind. The Houston Texans don't exactly have a ton of cap space. Uh, Clowney, I think, would be, I don't know about an instant um, upgrade. I I don't think he's a star necessarily, Um, similar to the mold of like Joey Bosa or Melvin Ingram or some of the game's great pass rushers. But I do think he's a very good one. And I do think with the Texans cap situation, it's possible that he hits the market. They're already paying J.J. Watt a crap ton of money. They're paying Whitney Merciless a lot of money. They're going to have to pay Deshaun Watson someday as well. I think it's possible, I don't know if it's likely, but it's possible he hits the free agent market. And if he does, former number one overall pick, once in a decade type of talent, it hasn't necessarily worked out that way, but once in a decade type of talent, I think he would transform this. If you're saying next year your starting pass rushers are Jadeveon Clowney and a first-round draft pick like, say, Josh Allen or Jachai Polite or uh, there's somebody I'm missing and whose name is, escapes me at this point, and I apologize for that, but somebody like that, I think you're talking about an instant upgrade, and then you bring in Clay Matthews on third down to just say, hey, let's run some stunts and twists with Kenny Clark and let's get after this chump. That sort of stuff is something where I think it's a transformation to a defense that needs somebody like that, and with the way Mike Pettin likes to use his interior defensive lineman, Clowney is big enough to where he can kick inside. And he's very good when he plays inside on rushing the passer as well. So that's something they could do. From a draft standpoint, guys, here here you go. Homerism right here. I'm waving. You guys can't see me, but I'm waving and pointing at me. That's fine. Everybody who listens knows I think that the Michigan Wolverines are the best team in college football every year, regardless of how it shakes out. And Chase Winovich is somebody who I think you can get on day two and fans will love him immediately because he's got long hair and he rushes the passer and he's got an endless motor. So that's somebody who 
I would fall in love with instantly. I already love him, so it wouldn't take that much. But if I'm opening a present, uh, I want to see a pass rusher, and the name is Jadeveon Clowney. I mentioned a draft guy. There's plenty of guys, too. Obviously, like I mentioned, I'm probably going to pound the table for a pass rusher in the first round when we do our draft shows this offseason. But Chase Winovich is somebody that I think you can get later on and become a really good situational pass rusher in that role. He's been, he had a very productive career at Michigan. Uh, he was, I believe, runner-up for the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year to only Devin Bush, who is Michigan's middle linebacker. So there's a lot of guys there. I think that um, those are my guys. So if we're going for Christmas, Packers Santa, if you're coming in March and April in those cases, I hope you're listening. Zach, real quick, before we sign off here, tomorrow Packers-Jets, like I mentioned, it's a glorified scrimmage. Packers haven't won on the road all season long. Did they get their first road win today? Yes, sir. 17-13. I don't think I I have not picked the Packers uh, to lose a game this season, so that's not going to (laughs) start. That uh, makes sense, I guess. Um, Good for you. I appreciate the optimism. It's going to be one of those ugly games. Well, 17-13, it just sounds like puke on my television screen. Yeah, a 17-13 game in in, in New York against the Jets, Sam Darnold. It's it's going to be one of those ugly games, but I think the Packers do end up getting their first road win. I just don't see this team finishing the season 0-8 on the road. There's there's hopefully no way. And in my defense, in all of the games that I picked the Packers to win this year, I genuinely thought they would win these games. And it's not like they've been blown out. I genuinely thought I don't think they've lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they haven't haven't been blown out by any means in any of these games. Like, they've been right freaking there. Yeah, I think they've lost one game by double digits, if memory serves. uh So, there's that. Zach's picking the Packers, which he does every week, like he mentioned. I am not. I'm picking the Jets because... I said after last week's show that I won't believe it until I see it because every road game, Zach, we've talked about this, has looked to me the same. Uh, They're in it. Maybe it's tied later in the game. Uh, Maybe it's uh, close and the Packers just need a play here or there and they find a way to not make it. And I don't see – the other thing I think is the Jets are going to be more motivated in this specific instance because – they're trying to establish a culture around a young quarterback. Whereas I think, and I'm guessing, I'm speculating, I apologize for that ahead of time, but I'm speculating that the Packers kind of know that, hey, we've got the quarterback, we've got some pieces in place. This was just a really bad year where anything you could think of that's gone wrong outside of Rodgers getting hurt has. And next year they'll be back. So that's something later in the year that I don't think gets discussed. Like I got a friend of mine who's in a football pick pool and he's asking me who's going to win this game between like Miami and Jacksonville. And Jacksonville looks like they're self-destructing. I fully expect them to quit. Miami still has, I believe, an outside chance of making the playoffs. So the motivation factor will definitely be there towards the end of the year. But I am picking the Jets. I think the Packers are a bad road team. I think that's manifested itself in all seven of their previous road games. I don't see why it wouldn't here. We are out of time, and we are way over time, so I apologize. That's either a Christmas miracle for you guys or a lump of coal, so I apologize either way. <laughs> um, thank you for listening, though. Be sure to check it out uh, at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. You can follow me. I am at Jacob Westendorf, and I've enjoyed interacting with you guys a bunch. I do apologize ahead of time 
for the baseball-related tweets that are going to start here relatively quickly, especially once March and April hits, and maybe sooner if Manny Machado decides that his future for the next several years is going to be in the Bronx of New York because I will be unbearable for some period of time. So I apologize for that ahead of time. Zach, where can we find you? You can find me at TV. You can find me on Twitter at Zach A. Jacobson. And I won't be tweeting about baseball. So there you go. Zach will not. And he doesn't really tweet much basketball either. So I don't know what the hell it is that you do between January and August. But, you know, more power to you in that, in that regard. Um, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a casual, casual Laker fan. I keep trying to forget that. But I just don't, thank I don't you. I tweet about it very much. Yeah, I keep trying to forget you're a Lakers fan because that, Lakers. yeah, that really does affect our friendship. I don't know if you know that or not, but it does. Um, so there's there's that. I know it sounds ironic from a Yankees fan saying he hates the Lakers, but I do. So hate me for it, if you will. Um, before we sign off, too, I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. If you don't celebrate Christmas, if you celebrate something else, good for you. Uh, we are a very friendly podcast to everybody and anybody who wants to be part of anything. And as we sign off here, the last thing I want to lead with is the score of the Ravens game is Ravens 6, Chargers 9, which is very, very nice. Thank you guys for listening into another Pack-A-Day podcast, and go Pack Go! <laughs>six trailing 30 to 23 two minutes straight up to go in the game san francisco showing a blitz through the a gap and here they come rogers looking throws left side of the end zone yes yes adams left corner of the end zone from aaron rogers 16 yard touchdown pass the packers an extra point away from getting this game tied Bethard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Bethard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the catch. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. He's got it out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.